Peace and love, family. This is Brother Fahim, and welcome to the Leave of Logic Podcast. You know the vibes. Welcome back, welcome back, y'all. This is your host, your humble and dedicated host, Brother Fahim. And uh, welcome to another episode of Lead with Logic. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's always good to get on here, man, and try to uh, share my observations and allow you guys to hopefully enhance your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, you know, so it's always a great, it's always a good time, so I hope that you will sit back, relax your mind, let your conscience be free, and, uh, and, and tune in, man, and really uh, learn a little bit, so something happened to me over the weekend <clears throat> that inspired this episode, I uh, went to a party with my wife, and it was a party uh, primarily people of West African lineage. There's a lot of West African people in there. And I found myself in a room uh, and in a conversation uh, regarding uh, the origins of me and my wife's relationship. And as I was explaining, uh, you know, a bit of those origins, question was posed to me, a question was asked to me, and the question was, why is it that all African-American men assume that African women have a man somewhere? And so I thought, wow, that's pretty audacious, that's pretty uh, (laughs) presumptuous to say the least. And as the conversation went on, <clears throat> another lady, this lady was African American. She uh, she began to then explain how African Americans were uh, just now recently in this current, maybe the cities, for the last three, four years, are, are just now becoming conscious or receptive to our Africanness or our blackness that stemmed from Africa. Uh, she then went on to say that we form skewed or distorted, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, these weren't her exact words, but we form skewed or distorted imagery or images of our brothers and sisters from across the pond on the continent of Africa due to the propaganda in which we are subject to <clears throat> in America, i.e. the media, uh, the news, you know, the movies, uh, things of that nature. she had uh, you know she had you know she's from where she's from and she had, she's had her experiences as well and it made me think to myself wow there still exists that old that unfortunately that uh, that old barrier between Africans that should not exist and so I said man that would be a, a perfect opportunity to uh, discuss, have a discussion and, and enlighten some brothers and sisters that are out there. And so <clears throat> I figured I'd take it upon myself and share that with my listeners. And uh, for that reason, I decided to construct this episode. And the name of this episode is going to be African Americans and Africans, Relatives or Rivals. <laughs> Relatives or Rivals. Now, the crux of what I was hearing as I was 
listening to uh, these sisters construct these arguments, right? I'm in my mind. I'm deciphering. I'm decoding the prominent concepts. <clears throat> so what I heard was I heard a stereotype, right? The first sister, the African sister, made a generalization, right? Um, and then the African American sister, she made uh, a statement regarding African consciousness being a trend, right? So that was the next big concept. And then the last was media imagery, right? So with the stereotypes, we have these generalizations, right? About a group of people. Next, with that African consciousness trending, you know, we're gonna get into some context and some historical facts, data about that. And then lastly, this whole media image, <clears throat> the question comes to my mind when I think of media imagery, I think, and I ask myself, who controls the narratives? Well, then you would have to think deeper and dig deeper and say, well, who controls the media? Malcolm X told us, he taught us that the media has the power to make a bad man look good and a good man look bad, right? So it's not necessarily viewership, it's ownership. <clears throat> but, um, so yeah, I said, okay. It got me thinking, all right. This is this is uh, this is interesting, but nonetheless, just a little bit of uh, of history, right? So, you know, when I think of the the diaspora, meaning the globe where all Africans are, we experience different forms of oppression, right? <clears throat> In North America, we we were we had the misfortune of being up close and personal with the oppressor. We lived right with the whites that were uh, enslaving us. And so we had the, uh, the, the institution of slavery. In Africa, it was a little different. Uh, they had colonialism, which was uh, slavery by another name, but they weren't right up close and personal as we were in North America. So what does that mean? Colonialism works like this. With colonialism, domination of a people or area by a foreign state or nation. The practice of extending and maintaining a nation's political and economic control over another people or area. Now that was straight from the dictionary. So basically I want to give you all that. So basically what colonialism is is Britain ruling Nigeria. Right? It's Belgium ruling the Republic of the Congo. Now um there are certain intricacies that come along with that, right? While in, in colonialism, those dominating forces, that dominating, that oppressive nation oppresses from a distance. So therefore, you can keep a little bit, it's a little bit of residue, excuse me, there's residual uh, elements of your culture that are kept intact, you, your tribes, right? your address, right, your uh, your native languages. But at the same time, you have to go by the rule of whatever nation has, uh, has colonized you. This is why uh, in Liberia, the flag looks like an American flag because Liberia is a colony of America. This is why in uh, Cameroon, they speak French because the French was colonized I mean, because Cameroon was colonized by the uh, uh, 
by the Frenchmen, the Cameroonians. Cameroon was uh, colonized by the French people, right? So this is just uh, classic colonialism. Now, in slavery, it was a little bit different. We're talking about <clears throat> the transatlantic slavery. We're talking about the peculiar institution. Uh, I forget what organization it was, but they deemed the transatlantic slavery a one of the atrocities in history, world history, against human beings. It, it functioned a little bit different in that, <clears throat> you know, number one, Africans were deemed subhuman, right? Number two, all vestiges of culture was lost, meaning your name, your culture, your God, all of that stuff was thrown out of the window, everything. You became a carbon copy of your oppressor. And in this case of the English, the British, right? But nonetheless, as one of uh, the, my ancestors now from Chicago State, Baba Kwesi used to say, uh, the goal was the same, to disorientate, uh, to reorientate and confuse the African. The, the, the ultimate objective of colon, uh, colonialism and slavery was the same. It just functioned a little bit different, just a tad bit different. Um, and you see the manifestations of it today, right? Now, those are two of the differences between colonialism. Those are the differences, excuse me, between colonialism and slavery. Now, in, in 1884, the Berlin Conference, what this was was a conversion of, of all these uh, Western nations, the French, the Belgium, uh, Germany, all of these countries came together in Germany and what they did was they partitioned off Africa so they said you know what I'm going to take this you're going to take that excuse me we're going to take that all of these uh, lines all of these dividing uh, lines were drawn on the continent of Africa only further uh, further uh, creating a wedge uh, between the continent and Africans had no say so about this but it is it is to, it would explain uh, these different languages. It would explain why one area is occupied by one people and they speak one language and another is occupied by another that speaks another language. And I'm not talking about indigenous uh, Africans or people from the continent. I'm talking about foreigners, right? But, um, but also in that, it also explains why, again, there's, there may be like, uh, there may be a common language in an African country. You'll have different tribes that speak their language, right? Their individual languages, whatever language. The, the, the Mono people might speak a language. The Pele people, the Mandinka people, uh, they all speak a language, but then they might all speak uh, Congo. They might all speak American Liberian English because that is the common uh, thread, uh, and that is uh, the language of the colonizer. Right, that's the language of the dominant, the dominant group. So you have to speak that. You have to be familiar with that language because that's the language in which the government rules and communicates in. So these things happen in Africa. This happens in 1884, and you know, going forward, we, we have what we see. You know, a lot of African countries they're freshly independent in the last what hundred or so years, some some even younger than that. But uh, my point to say all that is, is, is this, we've all experienced some form of oppression 
harsh, cruel oppression. There's no need for oppression Olympics, but we, if we're wise, we understand that there's a there's a residual, there's a, a resonating mentality that is produced from slavery and colonialism, right? Uh, that each African will manifest if you observe them closely enough. Uh, we can't help but manifest it because it was thoroughly ingrained into our culture and our norms and our values. So, but uh, but like I said, so that's a little bit of back history, a little bit of history on um, you know oppression between the African and African American. Um, so a couple of topics I wanted to speak on, right? And this is third. This is uh simply drawn from the, the discussion that we had that, that I was having you know uh, the first thing I want to deal with is miseducation you know in Africa from the Africans the small from the Africans that I've spoken to the group of Africans I've spoken to there's not a whole lot of knowledge of uh, slavery American slavery right it's not something that is taught in schools over there right um, and, and the inverse is, um, we're not taught about Africans either, right? Not in the proper context. You know, we're not taught about uh, people like Queen and Zinga. We're not talking. We're not taught about Shaka Zulu. We're not talking about. We're not taught about uh, Askia Great. We're not talking about any of these great uh, Hannibal. We're not talking taught about any of these great African leaders and generals and warriors. And in the same, they're not taught about any of uh, the occurrences or any of the uh, plight of the black black Americans. So there is a element of ignorance that exists on both sides through miseducation, right? That can simply be destroyed just by having an open mind and be willing to communicate, looking past the surface, looking past the poverty. Because, you know, um, miseducation, is a horrible thing for an oppressed people, but it's a wonderful thing for the oppressed because it produces these types of mentalities, right? Even those people who are educated, let's say those people in Africa who are educated, they have to go outside of themselves to become educated. Most oftentimes you catch Africans going to London, you catch Africans going to, coming to the West, America, Russia, anywhere, anywhere but them, uh, but the continent. When we know in uh, antiquity Africa, Egypt was the citadel of learning. All knowledge, if you wanted to be considered a, a scholar, if you wanted to learn something, you had to go to Egypt. You had to go and get the knowledge and the information from Egypt. Uh, but it's not like that now. Now, the countries are in such bad condition, they have to leave to be educated. And my point is, oftentimes when they leave to be educated, they are indoctrinated at the same time. They're indoctrinated into this Eurocentric paradigm that views all of their relatives, our relatives, through a European lens. So, um, what you have is, I think Frantz Fanon wrote a book called uh, Black Skin, White, White, uh, White Mask, something to that degree. I forget what it was, but it was basically... Uh, emphasizing uh, Africans who had European mentalities. That's a lot of time. That's what that miseducation creates. And it's the same here in the United States. The education is subpar. The education does not teach us who we are. 
education does not teach us about the African continent. It does not. In the month that we get, uh, it's redundant. It's Martin Luther King, it's Malcolm X, it's, it's Rosa Parks. It's all of these figures that we, we've we heard about. They've driven them to the ground. They never teach us about African empires and legacies. Mansa Musa, we never, we never learn about builders. We never learn about black gods who have come in the form of men, mortal men, right? We don't learn these things. So there's a miseducation piece that both the African and the African-American uh, have to remember. The next was, uh, you know, uh, misrepresentation. You know, uh, the sister said, you know, you guys, well, we, this is African-American sister. <laughs> she said, you know, we were shown these images and we believe them. You know, about Africa. And I, you know, and we do. Um, I don't know if we believe them, but we're not shown anything except we're not shown anything empowering uh, about our people from the continent, about our brothers and sisters from the continent. We're, whenever we deal with Africa, we the dark continent or what's shown in mass media is an uncivilized, backwards, primitive, uh, hungry group of people. Right. Um, so, yeah, there is there is a, a lot of misrepresentation. Uh, but at the same time, there's misrepresentation of the African-American as well. When uh, when the African is shown his brother across the pond, he's shown the thug, he's shown the dangerous rapper, he's shown the lazy, or she's shown the lazy uh, opportunity squanderer, right? Never shown the entrepreneur, never shown the... the uh, the working, the working man, never shown the community leader, never shown the night school preacher, the night school teacher or the good eyed preacher. <laughs> we don't, they don't get these images either. And on top of that, uh, oftentimes, maybe, no, not even maybe, a lot of the older generation has embellished these European values and norms. And they tell a lot of the younger Africans, hey, don't get hooked up with young African-Americans. Don't don't associate with them. They are not like us. They are different, and and they are to be avoided. They are to be uh, left alone. Right. So there's this mentality that hey, those people are other. We are African. We are from the continent. Those people have no culture. They have no values, and they have no no uh, uh, morals. Right. This is what. Uh, is taught by many, by well, by uh, some African, older Africans to their loved ones that are coming here. So that whole misrepresentation thing, you know, it, it I wrote down it. It creates images. The media creates images and and a narrative that displays caricatures of each culture, and that's not good. That's really not good. Uh, the the, uh, the cure for that would be, you know, what what your area of, of exposure and influence are. You know, you know, I teach mine, who we are, where we stem from, and that we are gods. And we are gods. I believe that. I know this. I'm not just saying that. You know that the black man, Asiatic black man, is the the maker, the controller, uh, maker, the controller, the. the uh, the God of the planet Earth and the, uh, uh, the cream, the ah, what is it? I forget what it is. 
the maker, the, uh, the maker, the owner, the soul controller, the uh, cream of the planet Earth, God of the universe. There it is. Um, that's what I teach my children. But we also produce. But I also teach them to love themselves in all uh, shapes uh, and sizes and, and forms, meaning all the way through, all the way from the root to the fruit. Right? We can't hate the uh, root, love the fruit. So we have to love everything about ourselves. We have to love our African self. Good, bad, or indifferent. You know, this is where we come from. I was discussing something with a brother or a sister, somebody, or maybe it was a mixture of both, but I remember we were talking about traveling. And whenever I hear people, when people often want to travel here that I've run into, they often want to go to places like Europe, Australia, uh, and, 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 and these places. And I always want to go to Africa. I always want to go to the motherland uh, because charity starts at home. Self-love starts at home. We should go to the mother of, of civilization and then work our way out. So I always, I always want to go and see the beauty for myself. I always want to go and see the illustriousness and the richness of the continent because, you know, it's so beautiful from what I've seen. So, the next is a is a middle class mentality. I talked to one of my brothers. Uh, he's an elder, uh, Baba Yusufu. Um, that's a shout out. But um, we discussed it because I was kind of disturbed. I was not really disturbed. I was just surprised uh, at the uh, at the widespread of ignorance or the audacity that I had encountered at the party. And, Yusufu reminded me, he said, you know, a lot of times, you know, these are, this is a middle class mentality, you know, these Africans have, uh, you know, they, they, they come, some of them come here uh, from these schools, these European schools, they come here uh, because they've had a little money, you know, somebody could send them to become educated. They haven't really struggled. They haven't really, they've struggled in the sense that they were in another country that was torn, but they haven't really, really tasted struggle the way you have, or even the rural African has. And so it, it, uh, it manifests, it shows up in their discussion. And so I said, yeah, I think you're right, brother. The middle-class mentality, you know, um, and what that is is an accepted beliefs uh, of the mainstream that don't facilitate cross-cultural unity or development. You know, that kind of encompasses everything that I've been speaking about, the miseducation and misrepresentation. You know, this mentality that, hey, you guys are less than, or hey, you guys aren't cutting it. Hey, I don't want anything to do with you guys as, uh, you know, as an African. Um, yeah, so we have to we have to try to shake that mentality. We have to try to get that, get that out, uh, get that out of our system. You know, do away with that because it's really not anything that's constructive. Uh, it's destructive, right? Because we want, we want to build bridges, right? We want to uh, unify where we can. You know, uh, Umoja unity you know we want to build on that you know and go from there and we cannot do that if we have this mentality that hey we are different or 
hey, you know, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm at a different level than you are, right? That won't work. Um, another thing that I was going to discuss, that I wanted to discuss, is cultural traumas. You know, something that I uh, that, that was mentioned or that I hear that's mentioned in many of my conversations with Africans are these cultural traumas. And what I mean by cultural traumas, names that that they uh, have been called in uh, in their youth, right? Things like African booty scratcher, uh, uh, ew, people saying things when their food come out. You, you take your food to the break room and people saying things like, ew, what is that smell that stinks? Or the one that, uh, <laughs> the one that, uh, the people that I've noticed is when people can't understand uh, the accent, right? They might not be able to understand your accent because it's so thick. Um, these are huge uh, points of contention that I've, from the Africans that I've spoken with, right? Now with African-Americans, um, the things that we've gone through, or at least me, let me say me, when people make that whole stereotype, why do all African-Americans fill in the blank? You know, that's a stereotype. Anything after that, um, I, most of us have shut down. We have, we have instantly become defensive because you've made a stereotype. The way you uh, started this problem out, you just, uh, the formula is going to be, uh, the answer is going to be bad just because the formula you started out bad. So that's something. Um, this whole notion of uh, the concept, like the concept of African Americans uh, through Africans, D different names, right? Akata, right? And I watched a video on Akata, and it was, I guess it meant wildcat in the Nigerian language. It meant wildcat, but it still has a negative connotation to it, right? It's just like the term nigga. See, within the African American community, nigga is an ambiguous word. Right? Nigga, you can tell by the way nigga is said what what its uh what its uh intended meaning is. My nigga. That's a term of endearment. What nigga? Hey, that's uh that's uh, expressing disrespect. You know, so regardless of how it's used, it's still a negative connotation to it, generally. And that's the way this kata word is perceived and understood um and then the one that the, the one that uh that is that is pretty deep is you are not an african you're an american right or you know you're not from africa or this is how we do it in our culture or this this general um sometimes that can be uh this mentality is when when african and african-american that i've experienced you know that that can be this uh you are a junior brother to me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to civilize you. Uh, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> right? Whenever I, what's fun to me is whenever I can, uh, whenever I interact with a person or I see a person who's from the continent, I know right away, right? The first giveaway is their tongue, how they speak. So, um, and then you have to know demographics, right? You know that outside of uh, Africa, Brazil is the place where the largest amount of Africans dwell. But on the continent, the largest demographic of Africans that spread all over the world are Nigerians. So what does that mean? What that means is nine times out of 10, 
when you interact with an African, they're probably going to be from Nigeria, right? Just because of sheer numbers alone. So most times I listen to people, I see people, and the first guess that I think is Nigeria. Now you can, I can see like certain Africans have like the Ethiopians or Somalia. They, their uh, features are so strong and beautiful that you can, you can. T- they're all beautiful. Let me say that. But they're those specific, you can almost tell. Like, okay, yes, they're from uh, East Africa. But by and large, many people that I come in contact with are Nigerian, and so I always assume Nigerian when I listen to them. Or I try Nigerian, and most times it's right. And then you got Igbo and Yoruba. You know, you got different tribes within Nigeria. But my point of saying that is, most times when I guess this, or most times when I start to go into that, they're always surprised. This is me personally. They're always surprised that I'm aware of their culture. I'm aware of their uh, country. And I always say to my, it used to, again, when I was younger and a little bit, maybe a little bit more naive, it used to uh, be offensive, but now it's an opportunity to enlighten. It's an opportunity to educate. What I always uh, mention to them is brother, sister. Um, I love all things African, and I also know how to read, and I also know how to study. Um, and I understand, you know, uh, everybody uh, Everybody is, is not... Uh, 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 Everybody's not from America, right? Um, And everybody, well, some of us uh, like to investigate different cultures. Some of us have an affinity for cultures, especially African cultures, right? And I'm one of those people. So uh, I just try to uh, expound on that and bestow that little knowledge and wisdom on them. But, uh, But yeah, you know. Yeah, we've all been through these uh, cultural traumatizations, I think. (laughs) I think it's just important that we understand every person is a person, right? And regardless of what might have happened with a a person of a specific culture or ethnic group or nationality, when we deal with another person uh, from that group, we deal with them from an individual level. And we don't carry that trauma into... Uh, um, out into the world or uh, we don't internalize it too much you know I know that's easier said than done but again it would help to foster better communication and understanding of one another and last but not least something I want to talk about this is just at a, a basic level right situational awareness one thing I try to do is always understand my situation and my circumstances and my surroundings. What do I mean by that? I understand that there have been years and years of ridicule toward Jewish people that have been, uh, more currently, there have been uh, a lot of angst toward the LGBT community. You know, there, there, there have been uh, trauma and there's been uh, issues with a lot of ethnic groups uh, by way of prejudice, uh, racism, white supremacy, or just oppression 
in general. So having situational awareness allows me to be aware and allows me to navigate when I'm around people who might be from a specific ethnic group or a specific group that could that has been oppressed. What I mean by that, <clears throat> I'm not gonna go knowingly, I'm not gonna go in a room full of Jewish people and say, man, you guys should have big noses. Or I'm not gonna get around a group of Hispanic people and say, man, why y'all all living one house why y'all keep running from why y'all keep uh, leaving y'all country these are uh, stereotypes but they're also things that could be considered offensive now those are some of the more extreme polarities but it's also little subtle microaggressions too that uh that i've experienced you know and i mentioned situational awareness just because you gotta think Whenever you have the the notion to uh, verbalize something that could be offensive, you might want to step back and ask yourself: Could uh, would this be something that I would be offended by? Would this be something that I got uh, up in arms about? Uh, so a lot of times, just situational awareness, and maybe that's uh, a thing when people get in groups, they feel a little bit stronger. Right? Maybe that's all of us. That could be a universal thing, but you know, um, we shouldn't allow our egos, our beliefs, or philosophies to create a barrier between people or cultures. Right? Um, and having situational awareness, dealing with people at the human level will help with that. Um, two things. Um, there was a brother who passed maybe like eight years ago now and this was a beautiful brother and he died under very extreme circumstances um he's hit by train and it was uh it was awful it was very awful but i had the honor of speaking at his uh homegoing celebration and as i'm sitting up there getting ready to speak i'm thinking to myself because uh, i knew him through my wife uh, but the interactions I had with him uh, he was super humble he was super warm and he was super receptive of me um, and it wasn't just it wasn't just because we knew each other through our wives it was because from what I took of this brother he had a genuine spirit and he had a uh, authentic humbleness about him that superseded culture uh, that superseded uh, country uh, ethnicity any of that and so when I went up there to speak to him uh, to speak about him excuse me I had to make mention that this brother um, you know whenever I interacted with this brother you know he always was warm and there was no barriers between he and I. It did not matter that he was African and I was African-American. We were two brothers who were men trying to navigate our lives and care for our families. And for that, we respected each other. And I really respected that brother for that. He was a great spirit. And I say today, like I said then, uh, may God grant him shade in paradise. But people like that, uh, he had great situational awareness. He had 
great purity of heart and he was in a great he was a great example of how we should interact and always be aware that different norms and different values may cause different things to be offensive and we have to keep that in mind when we deal with one another um, but on historical uh, on the historical tip you know when I when I think about the specific topic of African and African Americans one thing that's necessary that I didn't say that I might have should have said toward the beginning you know so you had a couple of immigration acts this is uh, again situational awareness you know this whole idea of support between African and African Americans not being there or African Americans just now trending with being African so you figure there was an immigration act in 1917 that banned Asian, Mexican, and Mediterranean people, right? And then in 24, the Asian Exclusion Act uh, it created a quota uh, that prioritized immigrants from Northern and Western Europe. Um, and it restricted Southern and Eastern Europe and Africa, right? Um, so the policy was very restrictive of people, uh, on people of color, and it was denying, you know, uh, a citizenship to Africans who lived here, right? No voting. So you figure in 65, what we had was the Im uh, Immigration and Nationality Act of 65, which abolished the race-based immigration quota system and replaced it with a system that prioritized refugees, people of special skills, and those whose family members living in the United States. Um, it also forbade discrimination in the issuance of immigrant visas on the basis of race and sex, nationality, place of birth, or place of uh, residence. Now, I bring that up to say this. Um, America initially did not want any people of color, uh, Africans, nobody over here. They wanted their own people over here. Give us your downtrodden. Give us your wretched. Give us your uh, criminals and bring them over here. Well, that only applied to European people. That didn't apply to other countries, especially not Africans but off the backs of the civil rights movement, right? Africans were, uh, were able to come into the United States. All people were, but Africans were as well. Why do I say that? What does that have to do with situational awareness? When you, when you think about things like it's trendy or uh, African Americans don't uh, support Africans, that's a lie, that's inaccurate. And it's inaccurate historically and contextually. Um, the only reason that Africans are here is because African-American freedom fighters, civil rights leaders fought hard and got them here. Because as I just told you, as I just mentioned, uh, the American government was not too interested in anybody coming over here other than Europeans. So we should be aware of that. These are things that we must make ourselves knowledgeable of uh, when, we, when we begin to reflect on um, the behavior and the history of a people, right? If we're African, we have to say, let's look past uh, the, the superficial and the shallow and let's get deep. Uh, let's go into the literature, but that takes some effort that takes some honesty and it takes some humbling right and so and i say that to the african at this ending point because quite honestly y'all 
whenever I deal, this is my experience again now, whenever I've dealt with uh, Africans, whenever I've uh, had discussions like this, and I know we all have different experiences. People have experienced African-Americans maybe who have been ignorant. I get it. But just me, whenever I deal with Africans and we we begin to discuss cultural differences, it's always the African who comes with the arrogance and the ignorance, right? They come with this air of superiority. That's been my experience. Uh, Many of them, not all, but um, many of them that I have experienced have come with this uh, arrogance and this ignorance. Not all. There are some who are super humble, super enlightened, super educated, and are super cool. But then there are those who uh, are the exact opposite on the polar uh, opposite. So, um, yeah, Umoja, you know, unity and Kujichagalia, self-determination, Uhuru Sasa, freedom now, in the words of Baba Kwesi. Those are, uh, it's going to take unity and self-determination to create freedom now. Um, and it, I want to talk, I, I, I had to say something about this just because, you know, as long as Africa is in the condition that it's in, all of her children will be in that condition. Africans, African-Americans, we're all fruit from the same tree, regardless of where we land, right? It doesn't matter where we land. We're still coming from the same lineage so we have to uh deal with one in that one another in that way because oftentimes in both cultures we are super super forgiving and we are super super uh quick to turn the cheek when it comes to everybody other than ourselves but when it comes to ourselves we are super super uh stern we are super super duper uh quick to, uh, well, not quick to forgive, not quick to forget, you know, we we can be kind of destructive instead of constructive, and that's not good, it's only to our detriment, not our benefit, and so I mentioned these things, hoping that uh, when you listen, that you will spread this message, and you will consider all of these things, right, Uh, you know, and some of it is a cultural barrier. Some of it is just uh, plain common sense, right? But uh, I hope something that I said uh, would help you by way of uh, increasing and enhancing your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Uh, so that's really all I have to say, brothers and sisters. Um, in the words of Malcolm, one of my favorite phrases, uh, may we all meet in the light of understanding. Hey, peace and love, y'all. Thanks for listening.